As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, or rather, it's soon to be off for Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean with confirmation that neither will continue to drive for Haas in 2021. The latest step in the driver market perhaps isn't a huge surprise, but likely means neither driver will be on the Formula One grid next year. I'm Ed Straw and joining me to discuss everything Haas is Mark Hughes. Well, let's delve straight into it, Mark. I guess it's not a great surprise that they're both out, but it's it's potentially the end in F1 for two drivers who've been uh, a big part of Formula 1 in recent years, isn't it? It is, yes, and unfulfilled potential for both of them, really. Um, they didn't just didn't make that leap from the initial promise into the, 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 big, the big leagues, and they were both sort of really treading water by... Signing for Haas, but in the hope that they could build something together, I guess, and progress together. But it it hasn't really happened. The, the team is sort of um, its form has been patchy, hasn't it? it? And there's no clear direction that it's going. That it's it's moving forward. It's it's it was its best season was 2018, which was it was building nicely up to that point. But then last year was a disaster, and this year is probably just as bad for different reasons. So. Yeah, the, the the momentum for the the, the drivers' careers careers is um, you know long. It's long past that peak where they they're fashionable. So if Haas has decided for whatever reason, probably financial, that it wishes to go with um, a fresh lineup, probably probably rookies, um, then yeah, that's obviously it's left no place. Um, for either Roman or Kevin. Yeah, and uh, Gunter Steiner, the team principal, pretty pretty much accepted that because next year's a carryover year, there will be a step forward from the Ferrari power unit package of some sort, but it, next year's not going to be a, a big season for Haas. He said they're not going to be back on 2018 level by any stretch of the imagination. So it's, it's kind of a, 
a situation, isn't it, whereby the team might as well get some resources in. Looks like they're going to go with uh, with a rookie lineup, so it's kind of forced that situation. He was evasive on who the candidates might be, but there's quite a few who've been extensively talked about. And then Nikita Mazepin's one, well-backed F2 driver, race-winning F2 driver. Obviously, the Ferrari Driver Academy drivers have been linked to that seat as well. So it looks like having kind of not been keen on inexperience in the past they could they could end up with two rookies in the car yeah and i guess it's um they're, they're trying to build up the data banks of the rookies for 2022 when hopefully Haas is going to be able to use the opportunity of the new regulations to at least claw back some of the deficit that it's um it's suffering with this car which is essentially going to be carried over in the next year so yeah using 21 really is is just a, a foundation year for two rookies and really for the um on, on the technical side to be focus very much on the year after yeah which you can understand and if they can translate that into really developing the 2022 car to take a big step forward and then potentially have drivers who've got some experience for the following year you can see the argument for it but it's it's difficult isn't it because you do see a team not quite giving up on a year but accepting that it is what it is and even if they got rid of these two drivers, which you can make a, a, a case for. If they brought in, been able to convince, we should even say, a, a Perez or a Hulkenberg to come in with their experience, that would be one thing. But if it's going to be rookies, that's going to be a, a little bit different, I guess. But I guess that's realism from Haas, you would say. You always want a team to take the best drivers possible, but sometimes you've got to look slightly longer term and take on board the financial realities. If it's if it's one step back driver-wise to go two or three steps forward, and have a stronger lineup and car for 22, then it would be justified, wouldn't it? Yes, and it would be very hard to do a convincing sales pitch to someone like Sergio Perez on the basis of that, on the basis of we're, we're not going to have a very strong season next year. Um, so in, unless you were going to keep either one or both of uh, Kevin or Roman, the obvious next um, thing is to look for a, a promising young guy or, and or someone who can bring contribute to the budget. And it looks like we're going to have a combination of the two next year. Well, let's have a look at the the two outgoing drivers. Should we have a chat about Kevin Magnussen first? Now, he's been a... They're both funny drivers, really. Interesting drivers in that they're capable of great things and not so great things, should we say. Magnussen, in their four years together, has has had the better set of results overall. He's, uh, he's outscored Grosjean. One of those drivers who... It's quite a mixed bag of weekends, isn't it? He's had ones this year where he's been really strong. For example, the race at Hungary was outstanding. Uh, when he managed to get into the into the points and there have been other weekends where he's been strong but there have been other ones where you know he had a run of throwing it off in qualifying trying a little bit too hard and other races where sometimes he does go go missing a little bit if the car's just struggling to a certain level so what, what do you make of Magnussen overall he's had a good run in Formula One he's had good days and bad days I guess he hasn't quite made a 100% compelling case to stay on even though there's real ability there yeah and I mean he, he sort of burst onto the scene didn't he with that um, podium place on his debut for McLaren uh, and he didn't quite make a case for himself being um, ret- retained there um, he, although it was very close the decision between whether in the following year it would be him or Jensen Jensen Button and in the end it, um, that that really was probably the he, when he looks back on his career he'll probably look back on that moment as, as when his career might have been something more than it turned out to be um, since then, he's sort of been he, he's been staying in the game. He's very um, very tough guy in wheel to wheel battle. He's got a reputation for 
um, someone that you that is um, let let's say physical can be physical is 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 really tough. We can uh, recall that incident he had with Pierre Gasly in Baku a couple of years ago. Um, a couple of incidents that weekend that um, just sort of added to that reputation. He's um, he's very adaptable to a wide range of car traits. He can get some sort of tune out of any sort of setup. Really, he's he's quite. Despite being a tough guy in the car, he's, he's, um, in, in personality, he's, he's a, a nice guy. He doesn't create waves in the team. Uh, but, yeah, probably missing the last little ounce of ultimate speed. Um, and, and so doesn't make an obvious case for himself. He's, he's easily worth a place, worthy of a place on the F1 grid but it doesn't make an obvious case that he has to be on the F1 grid. Yeah, you always end up in a vulnerable position if you're kind of one of those drivers who should be there, but there's always going to be some drivers who should be there who get displaced by ones who get there for, for other reasons or when you guys have to come in. So it is, it, it is, it is tricky. But uh, yeah, a driver who's produced some very, very memorable moments and contributed some good highs as well to, uh, to Haas in, in recent years. How, how about Roman Grosjean? I find him a, a fascinating driver, as quick as anyone on his day he has turned in some great drives and still continues to this year have some very strong weekends as well as some not so strong weekends i wrote a piece on the race uh, website arguing that he's he's among the best drivers never to win a grand prix i don't think he ever made the most of that prodigious ability maybe that run in the second half of 2013 was when we saw what he was capable of but it was just a flash really wasn't it of a few months what, what do you make of him a mercurial driver and just somebody who, I guess, his, his, his weaknesses just undermine those great strengths that did exist. Yeah, I'd go along with that. Um, in addition to the second half of 13, there was the first half of 2012 as well, where he was uh, quite exceptional. And he, uh, I'm thinking back to Valencia in particular, where he, he could quite easily have, uh, have won, and it would have been a marvellous victory too. But uh, something, uh, something mechanical in the, in the Renault engine let him down. Um, yeah, his peaks are outstanding, and if he could only have um, hooked together those peaks, he could have had a great career. And his, I don't know, there's something about his approach that just doesn't quite allow him full access to that talent, and that, that talent is extraordinarily high. I often think if he'd encountered a, early in his career, in his F1 career, a good, strong-minded engineer that um, inspired him and caused him to approach things look at how he how he d- did things differently um, we may have we may have seen the joining up of those peaks and we may have seen a, he would made, made a case for himself um, to be signed by a top team but it, it no there was clearly missing missing bits of the of his armory and it, it they're, they're still apparent today it, you, even though he's now very very experienced they, they, those those missing bits are still apparent and but so are the highs he, he's, he's still capable of turning in um, amazing performances um and is just his talent is just his raw speed but it needs the car in a very particular window from to be able to access that and um, if he'd had an engineer that had been able to um, get him there and maybe widen his window a little bit. Um, I think he could have he could have had a great career. Yeah, he probably had his his best days 
when he was driving for Eric Bouillet at, uh, at Lotus. And of course, Bouillet did come from an engineering background. He wasn't engineering him or anything, but because he was the team boss. But he did a lot of work just to try and get the most out of Grosjean. And it, it's interesting. It's funny to wonder if, if that team had carried on on the trajectory it was, if it got the extra investment in. Maybe the maybe things would have been a little bit different rather than going down the the road of uh, the road of struggle. But overall, that driver lineup it's it's a weird one because you've got two drivers who you're just never quite sure what you're going to get. And I guess if you're talking about trading that for rookie drivers, you never know, necessarily know exactly what you're going to get with rookie drivers in terms of their progression, etc. Sometimes it takes a bit of time for people to really adapt to it, even the very good. Sometimes ones who maybe look less promising actually settle in very, very well and start to uh, overachieve compared to what, what you expect. But you could argue that that wouldn't be a million miles away from what they've got now, where you just never know going into a weekend whether Magnussen or Grosjean's going to have a strong weekend or both or neither. So, I mean, Steiner was saying we needed to change something. We might as well roll the dice and make a change because this this hasn't quite worked. And as I think you argued in our verdict piece on the on the race website, neither of those two drivers has made that team their own. And even in limited machinery, a driver always has the chance to do that, and that that will get noticed, won't it? Yeah, exactly. They've not. There's just there's something in there. The way the, the, their personalities are, something in the way they they're wired up. They're just they're not proactive in how they go about the business of being a Grand Prix driver. They're just they're almost just um, employees. They turn up and they do the job, and sometimes that job's very good, sometimes it's not. But they they don't seem to be proactive in getting the team sort of spinning around them and and centered upon them, which is part of the the the, the skill of of you know, it's a difference between oft, very often a, a very successful career and a so-so career for drivers of e- equal ability. Still a shame we probably didn't see the best of either of them consistently, shall we say, because that they both have have the raw material. But equally, that they had their they had their shot, didn't they? Uh, when it comes to to Haas, do you do you think that position of well, we might as well have a bit of a go next year and change something because? We know that it's not going to be a great year. Is a is a sensible approach for them to take? I think they're just being honest. Um, they, they, it's it's probably not the position they would like to be in. Um, their hopes really have got to be on the, these twenty twenty two regulations doing as they're intended to do and and making it um, not so feasible for the bigger teams to establish such a big um, unbridgeable lap time superiority over the smaller teams. And it is uniquely small. I mean, even among small teams, it's small um, because of the the way it's structured. With the, the they don't make the car, and they, it, it's um, it's designed and built by um, third parties. So um, it that that model seemed to work to a degree in 2018, but the downsides are were very clear um, in the, the last couple of seasons when. You hit a technical problem, and you just don't have the depth of resource to a uh, research and understand it, and b quickly correct it. it. It's something that will tend to go on a long time if you hit a snag. So uh, their hope has got to be that the new formula sort of comes around to them, rather than them being able to suddenly um, stretch up and become a a leading team because that under, it's not really feasible for that under the current operating conditions. 
Yeah, and, and to be fair to them, there is, there is promise there because the overriding limitation this year is the Ferrari engine package. While the car's not sensational, they do seem to have eliminated the big problem they had last year with the with the rear aero stalling uh, when they were in the uh, the sort of medium speed corners, the slower corners, and that caused them all sorts of trouble all year. Led to them overcooking the rear tyres, and yeah, it was, it was a nightmare year. So they kind of got on top of that, but it's it's strange, isn't it? Because they've got they've got a lot of promise in that because they use they use the latest Ferrari bit, so it's all twenty twenty Ferrari non listed parts as they're called that they're allowed to take and then they put their aero kit on it for want of a better word developed by by Delara so it's very difficult to judge the potential of a team like that isn't it and we have seen them being best of the midfield at times never quite managing to do it race in race out there's always been that inconsistency shall we say which I think does lie in the the capacity to kind of crunch through all the data etc they are still a, a a small team because of the way they they operate but yeah, it's been a really tough couple of seasons for them, hasn't it? So you can understand why they want to regroup maybe a little bit. And even though they signed up for Concord uh, for the for the long haul, we're still not 100% sure exactly what the future of that team holds because Gene Haas was disappointed with the fact that it was a bit of a struggle to get sponsorship in to make it all add up. Got the cost cap coming in, etc. There's all sorts of things that means F1 is more equitable. But it's still a bit into the unknown for Haas, isn't it? And I, I wonder if the work that's going to be done next year in the background off track is going to be well it just will be far more important than anything goes on on track which i guess is the the team's mindset yeah the litmus test is obviously going to be 2022 and my guess is that um if the prospects don't significantly improve then gene Haas is going to lose interest and is going to look looking to sell the team that would that's just my hunch that's not based on any intelligence um so next year is basically the the, the platform for defining defining the shape of the team in the in the future and the ownership of the team I would I would say in terms of alternative drivers Nikita Mazepin as we mentioned seems to be strongly linked to it a, a decent driver decent record in uh, in GP3 or F3 whichever it was called that year I've lost track uh, and F2 he has won races so you know he's a he's a, a handy driver if if not quite a superstar what what do you make of his his prospects clearly there's backing there it seems to be going towards him Provided, of course, he has all the necessary super license points. Yeah, he's won a couple of um, uh, Formula Two races this year. He's one of you know one of the the front runners in there. Fully competent driver, but he doesn't done nothing to mark him out as um, an obvious superstar. Someone that would be teams would be clambering over themselves to to sign if it, if it wasn't for his backing. Um, it's not to denigrate him, but it's it's just. Uh, you know, a realistic assessment of, of his level. That's not to say he couldn't develop. Um, plenty of people have developed into having great Grand Prix careers from you know, similar similar sort of base. Um, yeah, he's he he wouldn't he wouldn't disgrace himself, but it's not someone you'd get excited about. Let's say. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, a worthy enough driver. Both those F2 wins have been feature race wins, so they're not the uh, the slightly cheaper sprint race ones, shall we say. But yeah, it'd be clear what the reason is. And of course, he has done some testing with uh, with Mercedes even in the in the past and uh, racing points as well. So has a little bit of, uh, of F1 seat time. The other seat seems a little bit more uncertain. There's Ferrari Driver Academy drivers floating around. The whole situation with who's going to be driving where regards that seems to have become quite muddy recently, doesn't it? It sort of goes one day, it seems to be quite clear. So obviously you've got your Callum Islets, Mick Schumacher's are in that mix, and there, there could be any number of other drivers, I guess, floating around. Gunther Steiner says they haven't made a final decision yet, which 
not totally convinced by, but we can only go by by what he says. So, so what do you make of the the other candidates? Yeah, well, it, it, there's the, the Ferrari juniors, as I say, the, the Ferrari are obviously very keen to place them in in some uh, Formula One seats for next year in in, in the lesser teams, just to give them some mileage and assess their potential. Um, but it's not totally Ferrari's say. You know, the, the Alpha has a say um, whether they want to retain their current lineup or give give one of those seats up to a Ferrari junior, and that has an impact down the down the line upon who's available or who's being foisted upon Haas from Ferrari. So Kalamilet, uh, Mick Schumacher, both um, have obvious potential. Both, you know, they're, they're um, the two leaders of the F2 championship this year. One of them is going to be the champion. So, yes, they 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 both warrant um, being given an F1 chance, and it would be very interesting to see either of them in the Haas to see how they got on. Yeah, I think that's whatever happens next year. It will be interesting to follow their their progress. And yeah, I, I'm not that keen on a team in that situation not having any experience in their driver lineup. I did ask Gunjustiner about this: how exper- important is experience going to be? And you know, he gave an answer that gave the impression that he knows full well that, that rookies, two rookies, is very possible. And he did say there is every chance that can backfire, but also it can work quite well. Sometimes these inexperienced lineups can can go either way, can't they? And, and you might get a fre- sort of a fresh approach, or even the team might benefit from having drivers they can kind of imprint their way on, having maybe had in Grosjean and Magnussen two drivers with a particular way of doing things. Not necessarily always that compatible those two as well, because they have quite different demands in terms of how the, the car is. I remember when Grosjean was complaining about understeer in the car, Magnussen was saying, "No, it's not got an understeer problem." And you think you've got two people there with just very, very different uh, requirements. So it's a roll of the dice on track, but off track, a, a sound move is the is the final verdict, isn't it? Yeah, it's a longer term. It's a longer term move um, because if you were looking upon next year as your foundation season, why would you continue with your existing drivers unless you th- thought they were going to be there long term? So um, I think. The, the long-term bit is in the past so uh, for those two and so yes that's 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 pretty pretty much a summary of it well thanks very much mark hughes for your insight in this short podcast about the has situation there's loads to read on the race.com website and don't forget the hyphen my piece on roman grosjean i think you've got a piece comparing magnuson and grosjean in their has time together coming up at, at some point and obviously you you can read in depth what Gunter Stein has been saying and all the other latest from the Portuguese Grand Prix weekend. And of course, we'll turn our attention to uh, F1's first race at the Algarve circuit. Probably going to be a really interesting weekend, uh, a great circuit. And we'll be back after the race to do our usual post-race analysis. So join us then on the Race F1 podcast.